today. I think that we all have responsibility to operate within our sphere of what we can influence, and if enough of us do it, it will grow. It will grow, and we will create a completely purpose-driven society. Absolutely. The statistic is that 90% of people are unfulfilled by their work, right? I have a genuine desire to see that statistic completely reversed. If you go to work in a, in a, in a purpose-driven organization, you are a happier person, fact. And you will go home happier, and you will treat your kids better, and you'll treat your wife better. Okay, your kids will grow up to be more confident, and your marriage will last longer. And you'll go to work happier, and you'll treat your colleagues better, and those colleagues will treat your customers and your clients better. And those people will go home, and they'll treat their kids better. It's called world peace. The way you find out the why of an organization, whether it's a small one or a big one, a new one or an old one, is you go right back to the beginning. What is the history of the organization? You know, why was the organization founded in the first place? Sometimes the founders can't put it towards themselves anymore, right? This is one of the challenges, because they've forgotten. It's gone fuzzy for them. Because every organization exists on two metrics, some sort of money, some sort of uh, two levels of it, some sort of metric, and time, right? And what you do and why you do it when the company is founded are inextricably linked. The biggest challenge any organization has is its own success. Because as it starts to grow, it starts to sell more, sell more, sell more, sell more. Now you have to hire somebody who hires somebody who hires somebody who hires somebody who makes a decision. Based on what? Exactly, based on what, right? And the why starts to go fuzzy. And you have something called split. Symptoms of the split are things like when stress goes up, the passion goes down. It has nothing to do with how many hours you work. You used to work your brains out of it here, and yet it didn't feel stressful. You, 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 you didn't get paid very much here, yet it didn't feel stressful. Here, you make an amendment, and you work in fewer hours, and yet for some reason, stress goes up. Stress goes up, passion goes down, is a symptom of the split. When the organization becomes more obsessed with what their competition is doing than what they're doing, it's a symptom of the split. When, it, when you're driven by your cause and your purpose, you don't care what anyone else is doing. Every single morning, Apple wakes up and doesn't care what Microsoft is doing. Every single morning, Microsoft wakes up and worries what happens to it. Right? Purpose-driven organizations don't care what their competition is doing. And they don't listen to the outsiders to make these big strategic decisions. They'll take it all in, but they don't do as, they, as they're told, because they're driven, they, have a, they know what's driven, driving them. These are symptoms, these are symptoms, right? You start doing massive amounts of customer research to ask others who you should be, symptoms, right? Symptoms. So when an organization is going through a split, the culture is still alive, it's still, it's still there, it's your opportunity to tap what's still special. If it goes on for too long like this, it ends up looking like America Online, where it's just a big, monstrous, who knows what, and eventually they'll chop it off and sell it for spare parts because it's worth more than that. In other words, the culture's been decimated. And ironically, when the company starts to have problems on the metrics, they hire somebody to fix this, but it's this that went missing. So your opportunity is to look at this. Don't literally ignore the product. Literally ignore the service. And worry about why they started in the first place. What was so important that only they could do it. And then start talking. Don't worry about influencing the CEO. Don't worry about influencing people who are miles above you. Don't worry about changing the organization. You probably have, don't forget, a leader has nothing to do with rank. Leadership is when you say something and others volunteer to go where you're going, regardless of where you are in the organization. Authority is up here. And if, if they're also leaders, then they operate at scale. It's efficiency, but that's all. So if you lead, even though the people who you really need to hear are up here, and you're all the way down here, I promise you there's a small group of people, some of whom report to you, some of whom you work for, some of the people you just know from the lunchroom, some people you know because you have to work with, with their group, and there's a group of people that you know. Start talking about this purpose or cause that drives you and reminds you why you love coming to work 
and you will inspire them, and they will tell somebody, and they will tell somebody, and they will tell somebody, and eventually the tail wags the dog. So the, the, the biggest mistake so many people make is they look at the monstrosity of the organization and go, I can't change this. Correct. Don't. Worry about this tiny little group that you can influence. The people who work around you, make sure that they go home every single day fulfilled by the work that they do. And when you say to them, do you love your job? They go, absolutely I do. No listen. All right. I hope you were uh, being able to catch some of that. It's, uh, it's fascinating. If maybe uh, ask me later, I'll be happy to share with you where I got it. Purpose is important. <clears throat> it's easy to lose purpose. Bill Hybels, infamous though he might be at this point, used to say quite effectively, vision leaks. You know, vision leaks. People forget why we do what we do. Last couple of uh, weeks, we have been trying to go back and remember why we do what we do. And uh, it's been very helpful for me. I think it's also been helpful for some of us in the community who have had an opportunity to maybe express ourselves a little bit in terms of uh, some of, of, uh, of their own concerns. For the next few weeks, what I'd like to do is take some time to remember why. By reviewing our purpose statement. I think uh, this is a great time to do that uh, as a community uh, because really it reminds us of why we're here, what we're really supposed to be doing together. And so I believe this is up now, right? Yes. Um, a couple things as we get started. I want to, uh, everyone needs one of these. You will be uh, invited to do an exercise in a few minutes in pairs. So if you do not have an announcement sheet, please uh, let Rich know and he will hand one to you and be thinking of who you want to pair up with, okay? Um, this morning what I want to do is just remind us of our purpose, basic purpose. And on the uh, PowerPoint, you can see it here, our purpose statement, which is always on the front, but you know we haven't talked about this in four years. And I went back and checked. We have not talked about our purpose in four years. Our purpose simply as a community is to grow in our love for God as followers of Messiah Yeshua by our worship and study so we can then serve and encourage others both in our synagogue and our greater Jewish community. This has been our purpose statement now probably, I believe, since at least 2005. It was something we produced as part of all of the elements of putting the congregation together back in about 2005. And... Uh, the part I want to emphasize this morning, and we're going to take this in five weeks based on the five points, but the most important point, really the point that matters, okay, is the first, to grow in our love for God as followers of Messiah Yeshua. Do you realize that that is all that matters? That's all that matters. It doesn't matter how often you read the scriptures. It doesn't matter how observant you are necessarily, really doesn't matter whether you can he read Hebrew or whether or not you walk the services or whether or not you can do music or whether or not you can give a coherent brush. All that matters is growing in your relationship with God. Now, when we wrote the purpose statement, we wrote extended statements. <clears throat> and so the extended statement for growing is grow spiritually into fully committed followers of Messiah Yeshua. Fully committed followers of Messiah Yeshua, which I like to call radical. <laughs> radical. 
And I remember we had a discussion once where people didn't like the word radical. Well, I like the word radical. You know why? Radical means completely and totally sold out. Are you completely and totally sold out for God today? Today, right now. Think about it. Hopefully you are. And if you're not, hopefully you know why you're not. For all of us as individuals, there's a process in development, including growing in our relationship with God. I am not, see, I'm going to put it, I am more committed today than when I first started thinking about radical faith. You know that? When I was 15 and a half years of old, God radically saved me. And from that point, my life changed. But my actual commitment to God today, even when I compare it with back then, is much stronger and more and deeper. My sense of what radical means today is, is much deeper than it was back then. Because over 30-something years of choosing to continue to follow God, I have grown more deeply in my relationship with God. The expanded statement basically says that our objective is to grow spiritually into fully committed followers of Messiah Yeshua, radical followers of the Mashiach. And on this, think of a Chabadnik, <laughs> who within Judaism are really perceived as the radicals. Their radical commitment to faith. The highest thing you can do is be a Shaliach and go to Uzbekistan and, and set up a tent in, uh, in Tashkent and tell wandering Israelis or the odd Jew that's left in Tashkent about Yiddishkeit. Wow, that's like amazing. But for us, part of what that means is, as it says, through active participation in the community. You know, all congregations, the only thing they can do is try to provide an environment through its ministries to encourage people toward radical faith. Services, studies, synagogue activities, and community accountability. Fundamentally, though, the purpose of this synagogue is to encourage all of us to grow in our love for God. That's what we're about. To encourage people to grow in their love for God and commitment to Him. They go together. If people truly are growing in their love for God, their commitment to God is growing. I am far more committed today than I was when I was 15 and a half. Because I've grown deeper in my love. My relationship with God has gone deeper. That's the way all relationships work, right? Two little people find each other. Little love bugs. And they start dating and they love one another. But they don't know nothing about love. Because the relationship has been so short. The longer you're in relationship, the deeper your love grows. So this morning, what I really want to do is I want to talk about love. Why should we love God? Look in your scriptures. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to look at a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verses 14 and 15. Why should we love God? And you're thinking, yeah, I mean, I know all this stuff. Okay, then fine, review with me. I've been encouraged by reviewing this. Hopefully you will seek to be encouraged as well. Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. 
page 181. It says, Behold, to Adonai your God belong the heavens and the highest of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Only on your fathers did Adonai set his affection to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, you, from all the peoples, as is the case this day. It's very interesting. When I studied at Spurtis College, one of my professors, an expert in Aramaic, one of the leading world scholars in Aramaic, made the statement. He said, the Christians believe that God loves. In Judaism, we don't believe that God loves. We're supposed to love God. And I don't know why he said that. <laughs> I said, Dr. Grossfeld, why would you say that? You know, but that's the way he understood it. But here, right in the Torah, Deuteronomy, speaks of the amazing love of God for the Jewish people. And we can extrapolate out this out from, you know, from all the other scriptures that exist that God loves all of us. The most important, though, take a look at one you probably have memorized, John 3.16. John 3.16, page 1009, page 1009. Here, God says, or um, Yeshua says, who is also God, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God desires to redeem his creation. He loves his creation. And it's not the planet he's talking about here. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. He's talking about everyone. God loves his creation, meaning us. We, created in the image of God, God loves us. Therefore, he redeems us. So the question again, why should we love God? Because God loves us, right? We love God because he loves us. And he loves us. And hopefully the reason you desire to grow in your relationship with God is because you know at a very deep level God's amazing love. You know that when you pray that he cares, that he's listening. You've seen him answer prayer in your life. You've seen him intervene in your life in ways that have encouraged you with your relationship. Now the question we want to ask next is how do we show God that we love him? You know, there's two points, and I can't develop this morning, but I want to mention, there's always an argument people have. It's not about doing, it's about being. It's not about being, it's about doing. Can I, can I toss out the possibility that it's both? You know, sometimes my wife just wants me to be with her. Married men, does that ever occur to you? All your wife wants you to do is to be with her? He doesn't want you to do anything. Just spend time with me. Just be with me. Don't think God just wants to be with you. Don't you think you therefore should just want to be with God? We have to remember that being productive for God is not all there is in a relationship. It's part of a relationship. If my wife says to me, I need you to do this. Part of being in a relationship is doing it. You know? Being and doing, they're, they're really important in a growing relationship. It's part of the intentionality of a growing relationship. How do we show God that we love him? We intentionally grow our relationship with him. We are operating on both sides of that equation. We are desiring to be in relationship with him. We are, trying, we are desiring to just be with him. Set everything aside. Focus our attention on him and just know him. Learn of him. But be with him. Do you do that in your week? Do you set a time, time aside? Hopefully you do every day. To just want to be with God. 
Now, are there certain things you're doing that enhance and grow your relationship with God? Certainly prayer and scripture reading, witnessing, serving God, using your gifts and abilities. You know, all those things are required to grow your relationship with God too because you learn of God through doing things. But you cannot learn really all of who God is and be, grow your relationship with him if you're just busy doing. You need to be doing both. You need to be doing both. I want to take us to the book of uh, Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I guess it's going to look at a couple of verses, make a couple of points. Colossians chapter 3. Page 1,129. 1,129. Discussed this yesterday with a young man who's a fairly new believer who didn't get any of this. I was surprised, but it was good for both of us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. First thing we're going to talk about is growing Talmud, a Messiah, focus on God's priorities. You know God has a set of priorities, right? God has priorities. In verse, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is sitting at the right hand of God. Focus your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Growing your relationship with God means you make God's priorities your highest priorities. What do you think are God's highest priorities? Take a moment, think. What is God's highest priorities? Glorification of his name. I know that sounds egotistical in a sense, but, well, he is God. (laughs) God wants to make himself known. That's his greatest priority, one of his greatest priorities. Holiness. God wants there to be holiness. Now, in your life, realizing that eternity is what's in front of you, how in your daily life are you living out God's priorities as your highest priority? In your daily life, How are you living out God's priorities as your highest priorities? Realizing that the things that seem important to you now, and I'm not discounting that they could be extremely important now. If you're in education or in the job and the different things we're doing with kids. But in eternity, what will they matter? Take a look at verse uh, next section here. Growing Talmudim and Messiah put on God's character. Remember, we're talking about growing in relationship with God. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you have to accept that his priorities must be your highest priorities. And then if you want to grow in your relationship with God, you've got to put on God's character. God's character. Not necessarily what you see on TV. God's character. Take a look. There's all kinds of verses I could read. But I want to focus really on just a few. Take a look. Verse 8. Verse 8. But now, set them all aside. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and foul language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. After all, you have taken off the old self with its practices. You know, the first couple of verses in this section, verses 5 through, through, uh, through 11, or through, uh, what did I just read, 10, have to do with, with sinful appetites and activities. Some of it involves just our own selves, the things in our head. The second one involves other people and how we interact with them. But, but the, the, the challenge is to actively set aside these things which make up our old person. What's the old person? Our sinful self. The person we were before we came into right relationship with God. 
Set those things aside. Identify them. Recognize what it is. All right? That's where you have to put a little bit of work into it. But resolutely determine that you're not going to do those things. All right? Whether it's an inner thing, you know, that, that only you know. Only you and God know about this because it's in your head. <laughs> okay? Maybe you, you envy every single person who wears shoes that you like. That you can't get, you know? No one would know that, except for maybe your closest friend. Or maybe all the people on the job know that you have a, a potty mouth. <laughs> but no one here does. All right? To resolutely determine. I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to set it aside. <clears throat> then take a look at verse 10. And have put on the new self that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The new self, renewed in the new self. This is an interesting uh, verse because the, the Greek there basically this is a constant, continual movement. You ain't perfect yet? Mazel tov, you're like the rest of us. We're all in process. Isn't that encouraging? You should be encouraged. You're not who you were. You're not who you should be. But, but you're making progress to where it is God wants you to go. That should encourage you. That should really encourage you. Even in the very text, it accepts the fact that it all involves a constant, continuous movement, but it requires a putting on, a putting on, a willingness to put on. And then in verse 17, it says, And whatever you do in, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Yeshua, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is really important in terms of growing relationship with God. Do you really recognize, do you understand that everything you do can be elevated to the eternal? That means you take your relationship with God into the, every part of your life. Your job, your hobbies, your, your activities of any kind, your relationships. All of these now can be seen in terms of God's, God's work. God's values, God's expectations. Do you recognize your need for personal accountability, though, with others in this synagogue? That's an important thing. When we talk about growing, <clears throat> one of the things we, we have to accept that part of the value of community is accountability. Is accountability. Embers taken out of the fire go out, so do believers spiritually go out if they stay long with that Kesha with other believers. Maybe that's not your issue. Maybe that's someone else's issue. But it's something we should all remember. Accountability is critical. And the congregation is supposed to supply and provide accountability. What type of accountability? Spiritual leadership. Rabbis, kenim, elders within the synagogue exist and serve to provide for you spiritual accountability. Learn from them. Now, one of the things that we have to keep in mind, and I would encourage you to remember, is that, is that the, the elders of this community are not just figureheads. We are the spiritual leaders of the congregation. You are accountable to us. In a sense, we're accountable to you too. All right, with a little mechanism for that. But you recognize that in accountability, the elders are to, to here to encourage you and to, to challenge you and strengthen you. But not just the elders. All spiritually maturing believers within this synagogue also serve to provide for you spiritual accountability. Learn from them. Look around the room. Consider, in a moment, we're going to break into pairs. 
Are you willing to learn from someone else within this community? Are you willing to be in a chavruta relationship with someone else? True accountability. You cannot be a spiritual island unto yourself and expect to grow in your relationship with God. There must be other people in your life who are spiritually holding you accountable. Otherwise you won't grow. You just won't. And it can be, like I said, just, just a, a, a relationship with a peer. But, but an open relationship with a peer. Who holds you accountable just as you hold them accountable. To grow in your relationship with God. Because remember, that's what it's all about, right? Growing in our relationship with God.